0: No, I'm trying to poison you. Hello everyone and welcome to Framework. I'm your host Cameron Thorpe and every month we will dive into and discuss a single frame from a film in cinematic history. We will also feature filmmakers on our show to get a different perspective on how we consume media content today. If you enjoy film and television and want to dive into imagery, please subscribe to RCE Podcasts on YouTube and look for our show. In the first episode, uh, we will look at an image from the 2019 film directed by Todd Phillips, Joker. Once again, I'm your host, Cameron. Come take a gander one frame at a time.
1: Sounds awesome. Cam, your voice is so good for podcasts. (laughs) Maybe maybe.
0: It's It's like ASMR. It's like ASMR. It really is. Yeah, I'd be good. I could record. I could record ASMR.
1: You'd be very good. You just have this very nice cadence, smooth cadence. I just feel so welcomed with your voice. Oh, that's just wraps or just wraps around me.
0: That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Like, I'm glad to hear that. You know, maybe one day if my film career doesn't work out, I could just record ASMR. Like (laughs) red curtain entertainment ASMR. How's that sound, Kevin? For a show, that's uh, that's nice. Is that viral material? Sounds great. That sounds good to me. Sounds good. All righty, here we go. Hey everyone, I'm Cameron, and right here with the pilot episode of Framework, a podcast and YouTube show about how single frames in popular films speak to the rest of the film as a whole, as one big picture. What do images mean to you? Let's discuss. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Cameron. I'm a writer-producer from Toronto, Ontario, that focuses on short form and series content. I have produced four award-winning short films and I'm currently developing three feature screenplays. I like film because I believe it is the closest thing to real magic. But enough about me. Let me introduce our guest for today. Robin Johnston. Hey, Robin.
1: Hey, Cameron. Thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be part of this... uh pilot episode
0: yeah of course welcome to the show it's it is just the pilot episode of course as you heard uh me uh doing my intro script there um so there's a a couple of kinks that obviously we're gonna we're gonna work out but um let's just dive right in have a nice conversation um about uh, about joker so this episode's called a lesson in happiness featuring Robin Johnson. Robin is a 23-year-old cinematographer born and raised in Brantford, Ontario. Having spent much of his early life speaking exclusively in film quotes, it was inevitable that he would find his way into the industry. Are you in the industry, Robin?
1: I, uh... I see you're pulling my bio from my website that I haven't updated since uh, second year of film school. So I'm really glad yeah. that we have something up to date that really represents me.
0: Dude, <laughs> um, dude, you sent me this.
1: I know I did. I know I did, and that was uh, that was my own mistake. That was on my own mistake. Yeah, I am, I am about I am... to
0: ask you who you are. That's so. okay.
1: You can you. Do you want to ask me who I
0: am? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would love to. I would love to. Robin, uh, you know, I can only do you so much justice. So why don't you just tell us, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself or what you do? Um, and, uh, and then we'll kind of, uh, we'll kind of, uh, transition that right into Joker.
1: Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, um, I'm a friend of Cameron Thorpe's. <laughs> That's the top of my resume. Um, yeah. you know, that's the first thing I tell people. I know Cameron Thorpe. Um, and the second thing is that I'm on the pilot episode of Framework. Um, okay, hold on,
0: hold on. <laughs> if you, if you actually told everybody that you met, that you knew Cameron Thorpe, I'd get more jobs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, so let me God. cut you off.
1: No, so, um, <laughs> a little bit about me. Um, I'm a graduate of Sheridan college's, uh, bachelor of film and television program. Um, I graduated with uh specializations in directing and cinematography um one of those specializations i use and one of them i've totally thrown out um because uh directing is not for me um i'm a you know as you said a 23 year old cinematographer um and uh i mostly do non-union um like music videos um promos commercials um and short films as well so uh you know, most recently, um, luckily, we had the opportunity to, work, to uh, work on a film together that you wrote, and I got to be the cinematographer for. Run, boy, run.
0: Yeah, and you know what, Robin, um, you know, they talk about, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts about, um, you know, sort of directors talking about cinematographers that they use. I don't really like the word use, you know, like I feel like you and I have a very collaborative relationship and you and I, even though you're not a director, we could talk about, um, the direction for certain scripts and stories and things like that. And then just sort of bring them to life because you're, you're, um, much more like I, I am a visual, uh, thinker and I, and I, and I go to images a lot to get inspirations for for my writing, but I think you and I work, work really well together. And like you said, we did work on something just recently. Um, before I get into like the the film intro and talking about uh, Joker, um, and and put a marker here, Kevin, because we might uh, put this at the end of, at the end. But um, it, could the audience find your demo reel anywhere? Where would they where would they look for that?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. So you can find my demo reel on Vimeo. Um, yeah, I'll send you guys the link. Uh, and then any of my other work, um, predominantly gets posted on my Instagram. I don't really do much other social media. Um, so, uh, it's just robin.johnston.dp on Instagram.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. That, that and then I guess Instagram would be, since it is a visual platform and it's kind of taking over Facebook in a lot of ways, um, that would be the primary place to kind of reach out to you and check out your work.
1: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the main hub of, of everything I do. It's on, on Instagram.
0: Yeah, cool. All right, let's just jump right in here and talk about um, Joker. That's obviously um, the 2019 film is directed by Todd Phillips. Um, like, can you believe it's the same dude who did The Hangover, right? <laughs> um, let's just, like, uh, let that sink in for a little bit, okay? The movie, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for your help here, but um, the movie follows Arthur Fleck, who's played by uh, Joaquin. No, wait, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I didn't say that right. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, um, a failed comedian who wants nothing but to bring laughter and joy to people's lives. Um, He's a man of multiple masks, but still finds himself having negative thoughts, isolated from the world around him. Uh, With the unwanted help of his friends at his place of work, Fleck begins a slow and painful transformation into the well-known character, Joker. Um... Do you think that kind of almost does it justice? I you can never do this film justice with just one paragraph.
1: It's tough. But, uh, I mean, that's a, that's it, it a very close. beautiful summary. Uh, I think that captures captures as much as you'd want to capture in it, um, without just yeah. seeing the film. The film is definitely something to to behold, and watching it is a, a totally different experience than just reading about it. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think you I think you did an excellent job.
0: Yeah. All right. So. I'm just going to take some time here, maybe a minute or two to talk about for the audience's sake, exactly what we do, um, what we're going to do, uh, in this podcast, since it is the pilot episode, the first episode, uh, the, we're, I just want to kind of break down what a general show would be like really quickly. So the, the, the show is obviously called Framework, um, and, um, really, really what Framework is all about is is images and how they speak to the the film as a whole so we're talking about single frames shots pulled out of scenes and we look at them we talk about them we discuss how they relate to the movie um, that we took it from how they relate to um, uh, you know life in general we can talk about um, cinematography techniques um, in terms of uh, the craft and how it relates to our guest's craft. In this case, we are featuring a, a cinematographer, but not every single episode of Framework will feature a cinematographer. Sometimes there'll be writers, directors, producers, production designers. Um, and we just talk about images because that is how we tell story in film. Story is told through images in sequence. And um, obviously, I'm not going to take any credit away from writers because I am a writer. But, um, you know, that that is where we build the story and then we bring that story to life with pictures and, 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 and thus, um, you know, the motion picture. So, but framework talks about the image as a still image, as well as how it relates to the images around it. And that's framework. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into film. We're going to have a conversation. It's going to be very discussion based. And Robin, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you have to bring your, expertise because you uh you're a cinematographer in this case and i think it's very fitting to speak to you uh about cinematography
1: that's a lot of pressure i'm excited though
0: yeah i'm glad you're excited um uh, before we jump in i'm just going to say we are in the red Crown entertainment studios recording this podcast kevin DeRoos is our engineer and technician hey kevin oh i'm an engineer right? <laughs> yes <laughs> well you're a lot of things but in this case you're you're our today engineer today yep Cool. Awesome. Glad to be here. Robin, I need you to help us introduce this image. What are we looking at today?
1: Yeah, so I, I guess for people just listening who aren't able to see the frame, um, what we're looking at is uh, honestly one of my favorite frames out of this whole film. You know, when you came to me with the idea for Framework, I was super fascinated by trying to capture the essence of, an, or I should say, trying to capture the entire visual language of a film in a single frame. Um, That was how you pitched it to me. And to me, this frame says a lot about what the rest of the film is gonna look like. So, I mean, what we're looking at is uh, early on in the film, um, this is Arthur Fleck, Joaquin Phoenix, um, reaching the top of that daunting staircase that we kind of return to over and over again in the film. and there's so much headroom, um, you know, we're, we're basically looking towards the stairs as he comes up, um, and the world is bearing down on him. You have all of these buildings behind him, all cast in blue, um, and, and just at the top of the frame, uh, we have this small little, um, streetlight of, uh, sort of sickly yellow that's kind of drawing him up the stairs, Uh, And all the while, even though he's so isolated and tiny in this frame, um, it's crazy how busy it can feel too. how someone can feel so alone, um, but also completely claustrophobically surrounded. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm um, just everybody knows at home, too, we're kind of doing this over Discord so I can see the stream as well. So we're going to be both looking at the same image at the same time. Um, but yeah, that was a great introduction. Um, I think it's also helpful for the audience who's who's only listening to note that uh, this happens at the beginning of the film. Um, we see this image near mm-hmm. the beginning of the film, which is interesting because um, because uh, the film is 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 notably regarded as an um, as a descent into madness film. Um, similar films like Taxi Driver, of course, that we can note from the '70s. Um, that I think this uh, this film harks back to in, in a lot of different um, very evident uh, scenes and sequences, um, but it's also it's also good to note that this film is very much a character piece. Would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire film, just like Taxi Driver, just like um, um, what is the other one, King of Comedy. Um, you know, an intimate sort of examination of someone who. Um, who is a little lost in the mm-hmm. world. Um, and I think this frame also very much speaks to that. Um, on the other side of, of this frame, there are a few people that cross. Um, so he's not fully alone throughout the shot, but I think that actually speaks to, um, something else that's kind of part of the overall, uh, visual language, um, which I'd be happy to get into if, uh, you want to dive right in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, absolutely
0: like, uh, feel free to dive right in for sure. I mean, um, we we obviously we obviously have a format here, but we're gonna just be uh, we're just gonna discuss it. I really just want to open up the conversation. Um, yeah, before you dive right into that visual language, uh, it it'd be interesting to talk about like where's the focus in this image because does your eye go straight to Arthur? like for you as a, you as a cinematographer, would you say, and you can you can obviously segue this into the visual language of the film, but um, would you say that your eye goes straight to Arthur?
1: Well, okay. So what's interesting about this frame, uh, I actually I kind of anticipated that you would ask me okay. this. Um, and I think it's important to note that just before Arthur reaches the point that he's at in this uh-huh. frame, um, there's actually only one light on in the building behind him. And it happens to be exactly where his head is right now. So there is that little bit of yellow that would draw your eye right as the frame begins. Okay, right. And as he enters, he starts to, um, he covers it up. So your eye's already been brought there um, and he he sort of douses that that little bit of light. Um, in, the, in the overall frame that we're just looking at right now, my eye immediately goes to this yellow uh, streetlight at the top. Right. Um, and I think that's intentional, you know, clearly... It's funny that you call it a descent into madness when the first frame that we choose happens yeah. to be an, an ascent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that those all play together in an interesting way because um, this ascent is like this constant exhausting trip for him. I mean, you see like how hard this guy works to just just live. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's a huge part of this character piece, just seeing how tough it is to be this single person in this big, crazy, um, harsh and, and careless world. Um, so to, to have him kind of rising up these, I, I've heard Lawrence Scher throw out the number, like 160 steps or something to get up this staircase. I mean, that is like he looks tired in this. And yeah. I think that's you know supposed to come across. You're supposed to see how exhausted he is. Um, and that little beacon at the top is almost like this relief in a way. Um, and the yellow being the relief is a kind of interesting pattern that you start to see throughout the rest of the film um, because the yellow is almost a mix of things. It, it's, to me anyways, the best way of describing it is it is the color that signals that Arthur is kind of going into a darker place. Um, I mean, all, all the way up until the end of the film, like he has his yellow vest and it's almost him donning this kind of darker persona by putting that yeah. on. And the yellow becomes this bizarre, um, or has this bizarre dichotomy of being both his allowing himself to be absorbed by his own darkness, but also pulling him out of the darkness that is the rest of the city. And the rest of the city tends to be characterized in these blues, right. um, like these really, really saturated teal blues, um, which is another, you know, huge part of this frame. You have these saturated teal hues of the city quite literally just fall. Like it's like a waterfall um, just flowing down on him, pushing him back down these stairs. Um, as you know, it, the shadows on the side of the frame kind of all lead you in this very beautiful kind of V right to them. Um, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm obsessed with this frame.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I'm sure we could talk about this frame for forever. And, and, um, I mean, we, we can very well try. Um, the, yeah, I think, I think this, okay, this lamp that is to the left of, uh, or I guess to the right of Arthur, but to the, to screen left, um, we, uh, we we okay from a uh, like a lighting perspective and a color perspective, um, it's it's pretty much like the only thing that kind of that kind of um, allows for a sense of contrast because you see a lot of the yellow in there and then uh, like you're saying, all these blues. So imagine this shot if the light wasn't illuminated. You'd be very different. Blue and shadow. Yeah. yeah, it'd be blue and shadow. Yeah. In this case in this case, that's like the one of the only yellow, orange um, tones in the in the picture in 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 the image. Like, mm-hmm. there's a few in the distance, like in terms of color wise. I don't know exactly what those are, but there's also there's um, there's some uh, color that's not blue in the in, in the far in the background. But yeah, this this lamp. Um, and I mean, the the light, obviously, that's behind Arthur's head that we, like you said, we can't see. It's it's I think that was a very good point for you to make because we have to think about, you know, it's easy to talk about an image, like, just as it is, like this one, um, not moving. But at the end of the day, I mean, like, the nature of, of film is that it's moving image, right? So it's very important to talk about what is behind Arthur and what you saw before, Um because this is one frame out of, uh, 24, um, you exactly. know, that, that occur yeah. over the course of one second. And, you know, you know, the camera could very well move in this frame as well, in this shot as well. Um,
1: exactly. So I, you know, I don't think I fully answered your question, which was, you know, where does your eye go? I mean, my eye goes to the lamp, but yeah, exactly. As you said, you know, when you are looking at just one frame, it's important to recognize that this is just one of 24 in one second, um, so there's, there's plenty more information on either side of this to, to, um, you know, guide the way the audience is going to view it.
0: And we could, we could pick, I don't know how you want to, how you want to do this, but is there something that sort of pops out at you about, like we, could, we it could be the lamp or it could be Arthur or it could be, um, composition or, or whatever that, that you think you want to talk about that's the most interesting about this, about this image. Um, I know you were... Like, back a couple of minutes, you were trying to go into, like, obviously visual language, but is there anything that, that you think pops out at you about this image that makes it stand out amongst um, almost the entire film and and sort of what it means for Arthur in this moment? Because I, I also want to talk about what it means for the story um, and sort of circle back into this ascent into madness mm-hmm. or descent into madness. Uh, I ha- I, I, have, I mean, as you know, I've written a film review on this uh, on this very film, And I prefer to prefer to call this film an ascent into madness Um, for the for, you know, and part of the reason that 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 I prefer to, you know, refer to this as an ascent into madness film rather than a descent into madness is literally just because of of where he ends up. Like if you look at if you look at the the ending of the film, Mm -hmm. we can talk about, you know, whether or not the character succeeds, but um, but that that's obviously less less about cinematography more about um the script um but the cinematography obviously supports that and shows that but uh, you know if you look at the the like one of the the last frames of the film yeah. he's literally ascending the crowds he's above the crowds right he's not hidden within the frame he is the focus of the frame he is he is uh I can't remember if if he's mm-hmm. center framed but like you know there's there's uh, there's less, I don't know how to say this, um, there's more light on his face. Um, there's more light on his face. There's like, mm. uh, he, and that's, that's sort of uh, why this image almost, you know, the motion in this image almost uh, kind of, you know, works with, uh, where he ends up in a way and, you you see that a lot in film in, in films and and in in television sitcom and um, other other media as well. Like you know, just in terms of crafting a story, you you want to um, echo in a way at the beginning of the film where the character is going to end up, and just by sheer motion alone, the fact that he's going up mm. these stairs, um, it, it almost almost does that. Um, this this, this this scene, this shot would be completely different if he was going down the stairs. Um, his body part of his body wouldn't be hidden. Um, for example, the, the stairs creates a visual shield for the character. Um, we can argue back and forth, obviously what that means, but um, it is it is it does cover him partly, right? So this scene would be completely different if he was going down the stairs. Um, just simply, Mm -hmm. but yeah, jump right into something that you, that about this image that you think makes it stand out amongst, um, the rest.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not to get too, too far off of this frame. I just wanted to echo something, um, that that you had said about that last shot of him over the crowd. There's a really interesting element of that that plays into this overall language. And it's, it's tough to totally show this element of it in, in still frames, but um, that shot, when you contrast it with where he begins, like you said, uh, you know, it's, it's you could argue back and forth about whether he um, gets to a better place. But visually, there seems to be some element of, um, of accepting that he is maybe in a better place because the very first shot of the film um, is bookended by that shot. The, fir- the first shot of the film is that slow, slow, methodical kind of um, dive into him as he's putting the makeup on in the mirror yeah. it's all steady cam and it's it's immediately contrasted that steady cam kind of push in by handheld um as you sort of dive into his world further but that that slow push into the first shot is completely bookended by that slow slow pull out where um you see him over the crowd kind of um you know basking in in the awe and the sort of jubilation of everyone around him um so it, it is interesting that there's this huge sort of visual bookend that they threw in to kind of um help visualize at least where he is in in a in a personal kind of headspace um because so much of this film is about the journey that he goes internally mm. um that he goes on internally versus um everything that the audience sees, Um, you know, the film is so silent throughout because so much of what the journey is, is what's going on in his own head. Um, So in terms of this frame though, I mean, uh, there's a lot of ways we could do it. I I mean, we can go at it kind of systematically and start with, with one element of it and move through because, you know, as I said, the reason I chose this frame is I think that this, Illustrates in a lot of way the overall language of the rest of the the rest of the film Um, If I if I was to point out one thing that I think this Does best and uh, the the reason that I chose this over over most other frames um, Really is the composition because I think it gets at something that the film is always trying to communicate um, in, in Any other you know way. It's not just the cinematography It's also the, the set design, the locations, uh, everything kind of builds up to this idea that he is small, insignificant, feels isolated and alone, but has this busy claustrophobic world bearing down on him. Um, it's this kind of visual, um, this kind of visual style gets returned to in a lot of ways. Um, like in the doctor's office, for instance, when he's talking to the to the therapist, um, you know, he's surrounded by all of these books and all of her notes and boxes full of things overflowing. And even though he's this tiny little sort of trapped thing in the frame, this small little insignificant thing with all this headroom, he still feels like he's constantly surrounded by stuff. So it's just this bizarre back and forth of, feeling small and alone, but also constantly filling the frame. And that's, I mean, that's a a hard line to sort of walk, um, to make someone feel like they're in an empty frame while completely filling it and surrounding them. Yeah. Um, and I, I, just think this film does a, or this frame in particular does an excellent job. of that Yeah. Film. I
0: wanted to, I wanted so badly to disagree with you because I know before, like before this, uh, we were recording, we, we talked about sort of having a good discussion and part of having a good discussion is coming at it with, by like with opposing views. <laughs> um, well, I really wanted to disagree with you, but I was going to say like the most striking thing about this, about this, uh, this frame and, and this shot too in sequence in motion is, is the composition. Mm-hmm. And and how he's he's being like buried by space above him, mm-hmm. and and when we think about like as a writer myself, okay, when I think about um, internal conflicts, okay, it's hard to it's hard to you know um, it's hard to write a feature film and have it survive um, solely on the internal conflict. Obviously, there has to be some physical and emotional um, uh, conflict. And, um, it's, it's really difficult to like make a film entirely inside somebody's head. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, Joker, um, sprinkles in, you know, uh, physical conflicts because that's a, a, a big part of like why he's in the headspace that he's in. Like just look at like one of the first confrontations, which is in the alleyway, uh, where he gets beaten almost to death. And then the, this big, you know, title card comes up and, it's like that like he he's struggling he's suffering in part because excuse me in part because you know uh, like maybe he doesn't fit in or or you know whatever's in his whatever is in his world like people just seem to like kind of like pick on him and target him but what what i'm getting at is a lot of the times when we think about claustrophobia okay and how and how we can visually show claustrophobia at least in my own experience, like I see tight shots, I see close-ups, I see like, you know, um, like taking, um, removing the space from the image, and like cutting them off in weird, in weird places. And those are those are very valid ways of showing claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. This film does an excellent job at using. Uh, I, I guess we could call this a wide shot. I think we would call this kind of a a, a wide um, or or a long shot. Yeah. Um, you know as a way of using wide shots and long shots to convey that same feeling like claustrophobia mm-hmm. and these these buildings behind him even the buildings that are to the, to the left and to the right of him are are burying him and the, the that is that is yes in part like the, lo, the you know the choice of location and the, the design like the, the thing in the bottom left of the of the frame here looks like a garbage bag mm-hmm. It's grimy. Like the this is, a, this is these are all production design, location, cinematography, directorial choices that go into that go into crafting this image. And uh, yeah, that that's my point is that this film does an excellent job at using medium mediums and long shots to convey that claustrophobia in the same way that you could with uh, with tighter shots or tighter uh, scenes like locations, like, like in the bathroom, obviously when he's dancing, which is, uh, which is uh, like you said, a scene that's talked about uh, almost overly, uh, discussed, but. Well,
1: and, and you I think you hit on something really important there, which is kind of where our intuitions go when you're trying to communicate claustrophobia. I mean, uh, I think one of the best sort of contemporary examples I can think of would be like the Safdie brothers, um, and like Uncut Gems, um you right. know a film like that or even good time a film like that um really fights for the claustrophobia by cutting people completely out of the frame by or I shouldn't say cutting them out of the frame but cutting everything else out of the frame having you know almost the whole film on these long lenses that are right up close with people and you're trapped in their perspective um and you do get a little bit of that in this film as you kind of transition into the handheld shots um, where you kind of get to dive right into uh, Arthur's own kind of wandering perspective. I mean, the best best example I can think of is him sitting in the living room at night, holding the gun that he's given, um, and you just have the camera kind of wandering across its features and him, and it's this very sort of train of thought kind of way of um, visualizing um, what it is that he's thinking about. Um, but what, what's really interesting about this frame in contrast to how you would try and communicate claustrophobia, like the Safdie brothers, like an Uncut Gems, is exactly what you said, using these wide shots to um, bury a character um, mm. visually. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but the, the waterfall thing is something I'd want to come back to because, you yeah. know, this yeah, this frame very much... I mean, you could, you could easily have these buildings on the left and right that are a little closer to them, also sort of flooded with blue the same way everything else is. But this is, you know, clearly a a very um, uh, intentional choice to have those be black. Um, and, And I think, you know, creating this waterfall effect is interesting to have not only the blue bearing down on them, the pressure just pushing down on them, just like a waterfall, but to have it be city, you know, have it be Gotham, have it be the buildings I think it says a lot about where Arthur's at, feeling like the rest of this city, the rest of this world are pushing him down, pushing him down as he's pushing to get up. You know, he's coming up these stairs as as the entire city pushes him back down. Um, You know, it's it's claustrophobia, and I think the word that really jumped out to me was like agoraphobia, which like Mm -hmm. people kind of associate with you know fear of open spaces, but it's more about it's more a fear of of not being able to escape. Um, And sometimes that means open spaces, but I think this communicates agoraphobia in a really creative way because it doesn't feel like he could go anywhere other than where he's going. Um, Like It feels like he's on rails in a way, but not in a robotic way in in the sense that he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't go to the left because it's all darkness or it's all garbage. He can't go to the right. It's all darkness. It's all garbage. Um, And behind him is just going right back down. And sort of diving into that blue dingy city that he's clearly trying to get away from
0: i think uh, the agoraphobia point is obviously uh, is obviously a great one i want to i want to talk a little bit about um darkness and 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 specifically um, um blackness in terms of our dynamic range like the details in the shadows versus the details in the highlights this this section to the right of the lamp is that, is any of that like absolute blackness or is there detail all throughout?
1: I'm inclined to say that it's probably not absolute blackness. I think it, it probably gets very close to an absolute black level, but, um, uh, you know, I think all of that comes from the look with the colorist, obviously. Um, it, I, I, I wish I could remember the colorist name. I know it's Jill, um, Jill something for Joker, but I think it's close to absolute blackness.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I That, that like you said, is totally intentional. And and then, and if we could, you know, you could, you know, you could break this down into like a pixel, you could pixel peep all you want, but obviously we don't want to do that. But just the fact that like part of the wall is like perfectly lit, you know, uh, or I'm sorry, not, I wouldn't say perfectly lit, but uh, illuminated and part of the wall is is dark and black, it, you know, also says something, right? It's like, we're contrasting light and dark. And, and that says a lot about the theme and the tone of the of the film as, as well if we look at if we look at um you know it, it feels like there's there's like contrast in areas of this image that are like rather close together so for example like if you look at um arthur's face which mm-hmm. is partly in shadow and then right in front of him which is the top of the stairs there's um there's a highlight there like there's detail and a highlight um there which almost looks like it's wet from like maybe rain or whatever um, mm-hmm. which could have, which could very well have been like an accident on the part of the, like the production, like perhaps it <laughs> rained, um, hours before or days before they shot this. But there's also something to be said for like where the darkness is versus where the highlights are. Like a force is going to be a highlight in the lamp cause it's on. Mm-hmm. But if we look at his face, it's, it's partly lit on, on, around his forehead, but his eyes are, are dark. You don't really mm-hmm. see his eyes in this frame at least. Um, you might see them more obviously as he approaches the camera. I don't remember exactly every single detail, but, um, it's important to note that like, we're almost putting highlights on mundane areas of the scene. Um, we're not putting highlights on, on his face. That's completely intentional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you could just think from, um, from a, uh, cinematic point of view in terms of why they would, why they would choose to do that. But you know, it's like, it's like with, with lighting, it's like, okay, why are you putting the light there? Mm. Um, now, let me ask you something here because I don't know the answer. Um, my gut says no, um, but it, are there any artificial light, uh, light? Is there any artificial lighting? Is Larry Schur lighting the scene or are they just using what is practical?
1: I'm inclined to think that um, in terms of light fixtures – There probably isn't anything except for possible. I mean, obviously, there's the lamp, um, which you know either the glass is stained to be intentionally that yellow, or they've done something with the actual bulb that they chose to get that look, or maybe it's all just you know in in the coloring. Um, I'd be inclined to say that there there might be um, some sort of source, just a soft source up uh, near where the camera would be situated, but um, I think that the effect that you're getting here in terms of all of these shadows um, contrasted with with the light um, with the blue light is more than likely um, a, a giant frame um, like a 20 by um, or you know or something even larger uh, essentially flagging off um, these buildings and um, and then allowing the light to fall on on the buildings as it kind of falls back uh, into the background something
0: that i think a general audience doesn't realize is that is that like we're breaking down the nitty-gritty of this image but um but these are all intentional choices it's like you know a lot of people i think well you know i mean and this is this is obviously like to, to no fault of their own but like my parents for example uh, you know when they when they watch a film they don't like realize and this is a good thing in part but like they don't realize how much work kind of goes into like editing together the film for example or like the fact that the fact that every time the angle or like the perspective or like the view on the character like and i'm using layman's terms but that's partly because my parents might listen to this (laughs) um every time the view on the character changes that's a different angle that's a different camera setup that's a cut but like they don't realize that there's a like sometimes they don't realize that there's a cut happening like somebody is intentionally changing the view um and smoothly i might add right like obviously like, like <laughs> seamless editing there's there's craft to seamless editing just like there's craft to um to cinematography it's like somebody um and I I don't want to I don't want to mm-hmm. sound like you know I'm saying this to somebody who's stupid, but it's it, it's true. So people don't people don't necessarily realize how things are done, but like somebody is making these decisions. These are um, cinematic, directorial, production design, locations related decisions. The content of this scene could have been filmed like anywhere else, okay, but this is where it happened to be and they are they are you know they they probably i mean this is joker and it, i mean i don't i don't know what the budget was but they probably had enough money to say okay we want to film on this on this like staircase so it's not like they're running and and maybe they maybe they hmm. did maybe i'm totally wrong but um my point is is they they did these things like in intentionally like there is somebody behind the camera saying i am going to do this and that is art.
1: Yeah, well, and it's funny. I, I'd be inclined to say that the fact that um, your parents or, or any audience in general, um, the, the fact that they don't pick up on these things, I think is less a comment on that audience and more a compliment to the filmmaker. Um, because if a general audience is watching a film and thinking about the cuts and thinking about all of these little elements... Um, then chances are that it's because something's going wrong um, and they're picking up on, on where something's gone wrong. Not to say that, that a general audience can't um, respect, you know, the, the more artful cinematic side of things. And I think, I think a film like Joker really speaks to that because the people that enjoyed it were both, you know, film critics and audiences alike. Um, but I think I think that, that speaks more to the the quality of the filmmaking than it does to the quality of uh, Audience perception. So if your parents don't notice the cuts then something's going right
0: thing. No, I, and, and exactly and that's that's like partly kind of where I was going um, Where I was going with that is like they they shouldn't be noticing mm-hmm. it it's one of those art forms that spends more time trying to hide things Right. Then bring them to the forefront. Right. And uh, I think, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we could we could talk mm-hmm. about how that how that's not true, but it, it it is very true in a lot of ways. And that's kind of partly what the what the editor's job is. But this is more obviously about the cinematography. So, um, yeah, I think for me, I'm going to kind of bring us back on track because we've been going for 45 minutes here. But um yeah for me and it seems like for you the composition of this image is um really the most striking aspect.
1: Yeah absolutely. I mean I the composition is the thing that I think is most powerful in this frame. Um you know to pick up on something that you had mentioned uh you know briefly, you know the lamp uh the lamplight breaking up the wall um you know it's funny that I would have said in the beginning of this, the, the sort of point about subjectivism being frustrating in film, but I realize that I do project so much of my own subjective interpretation because for all I know, you know, Lawrence sure put that, put that picture there and went, you know what? I just want the color. I just want to sort of break up the, the dynamics, uh, or, or I want to add a bit dynamic dynamism to the image. Yeah, exactly. Um, but when I look at that light shining on the wall, I can't help but but start to think, oh, you know, there's all this darkness surrounding him. And this yellow light happens to be the thing that's breaking up the darkness. You know, yeah. what does that say about yellow in the rest of the film? Is there something about yellow that breaks up the darkness in, in, in Arthur's life? Is there something about it being at the top of these stairs that's pulling him yeah. up? um is it the color is it the light Uh, you know there's all these things that um we can interpret ourselves but i guess that's kind of what makes this medium so interesting
0: exactly is that you and i can sit here and be like oh well they thought about every like every single detail because that's what it's like it's like well sometimes sometimes they didn't kind of realize realize it but there was a reason that they decided to include that into the frame whether whether we're right or or not Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a reason, and so I, that is a good, what you just said there uh, is a good segue into two things, and while Kevin is pulling up the next frame, which I want to talk about because it, the, the, the two of them relate to each other, um, by the way, for everybody who's listening, it's kind of funny because Robin and I are usually on really close lengths, uh, wavelengths, um, but we, we decided that we would each choose an image, and it turns out that the image that I chose comes right after this one, <laughs> which, is coinc- which is just a coincidence. So the 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 next one, it's actually in my Finder, Kevin. I don't think we put it into the chat. While he's looking for that, this is a good opportunity for me to ask you a question. I have a question okay. prepared for you that um, I know you thought about the answer because we talked about it last night on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so basically, the question goes like the question goes like this: Would you say that? Um, Larry Schur's work influences yours in terms of how you are crafting your own style.
1: It's interesting. Um, I always watched you know, Todd Phillips and, and Lawrence Schur's work, but always from a perspective of not knowing it was them. So I remember, you know, really enjoying the first Hangover. I always remember really enjoying Due Date. Um, You know, I saw these movies without realizing it was them and was so blown away to come into Joker and then start to make that connection between the two of them. Um, So it's tough. I, I would be inclined to say that Joker absolutely has some sort of influence on my style um, or has had some influence on the way I like to think about composition and the way I like to think about the relation of, you know, the camera to the character and and how, you know, pulling a camera as close as you can get to a character as possible can create, you know, a much more intimate feel for the audience. Um, So I'd be inclined to say that Lauren Shure's work on Joker has absolutely shifted kind of the way I think about um, composition, the way I think about movement Way I think about color. Um, but I, I would be uh, lying to say that his body of work has influenced me. And, and the reason I say that is because um, I've never been a person who's felt super comfortable um, shooting comedy. Um, you know, uh, I commend uh, Lauren Schur for having done it for so long. Um, and, you know, having listened to him talk about this film, it seems like he's picked up a lot of uh, really excellent lessons in sort of pacing the day, keeping up momentum, making sure the actors feel in the headspace, all of those kind of things are, are awesome lessons to carry into dramatic work. And I think that those lessons, um, you know, pay off in the end with, with Joker. I, th- I think those kind of things show through. Um, so I think in retrospect, I, I like to listen to the things he says about his own work and, uh, and the workflow of it. And try and adapt those to my work, too, because, you know, um, I'm a person who, um, you know, likes to to light for a wide shot um, and try and keep that that lighting setup as much as possible for all of the coverage. Like, I'd want to get a lighting setup that's going to work for every single shot. It's a pain in the ass sometimes, um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it, it keeps the momentum going in a really, really powerful way and it keeps the energy up on set in a really powerful way. Um and those are all things that I've kind of pulled from Lawrence Sure.
0: Right, yeah. Um and you know, sometimes you get a director who who goes like, Okay, let's light for the white and let's do the white and then we're gonna go in and then we're gonna change the lighting setup. And then it's like, Oh well, we gotta go back to the white. It's like, Well, fuck. Like <sighs> what what do you mean? We gotta go back to the why? There, like, so, yeah, there, sure there are horror are. stories. Yeah, I'm sure there are. So, like, so it, it's 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 kind know, of that's funny why you need because
1: a good first AD like Cameron Thorpe.
0: <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's just sometimes it's like sometimes, and I mean, I I, I guess not necessarily do I uh, do I blame first time directors for this, but like obviously, um, you know, the experienced directors are always thinking about their their schedule and like what what they should do to maximize their efficiency on set. Um, and I mean, the first AD mm-hmm. is meant to obviously take that away from their, their, their creative brain so that they can focus on the performance and, the, and where the camera goes and, and their collaboration with the actors and the cinematographer. But, um, but sometimes you get that. And, and I mean, like this is an awesome ambition for you because um, or desire for you, because if you were able to do that, then your lighting setup would be like where it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if it doesn't move, if it doesn't move then and that happens that you don't really lose much time you might have to make some minor adjustments obviously depending on where the where the sun is if you're outside or you know these obviously there's a lot of variables um but yeah that's that's a great um that's a great way of talking about it I think thank you very much uh for that I think that from what I've seen you do not just in the realm of like short films or music videos or commercials but um also in the realm of photography and what you post on Instagram, Mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like from my perspective, it does look like from an outside uh, view that, that you're kind of shaping your own craft and style, um, around, I think, um, I think, um, what Larry Sher has done in Joker, whether that's directly influenced you or not. I think that everybody, I mean, I would be, I, I would be lying if I said that Joker didn't influence me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, then again, I think it's also true that Joker influencing you is different than Larry, Larry Schur influencing you because Joker not the only thing he's ever done. But um, anyways, we got the image up here. Um, it, can you see it?
1: I can see it. I can see it. And it is honestly so funny that this would be the image that you chose considering this is, you know, in the sequence of of the film that this frame happens to come right after the frame I chose. It's, it's such a ridiculous coincidence yeah, that we know. both chose these. It is it is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> and I mean we didn't we talked about like picking our own our own frames. And the only clue that you gave me was that your choice is not in the 80 frames that I sent you.
1: It was and you know what's so funny? When I told you that, I was actually gonna choose a different frame. I wasn't even looking at that frame.
0: Yeah. So there you go. So this was definitely by accident. It's an amazing coincidence. Um, so yeah, let's talk about this frame really briefly, and then obviously, unfortunately, we're gonna have to wrap it up. So, this is the image that I brought to the, uh, to the table today, which is, it's interesting, like, I mean, it's interesting that we both kind of brought a wide shot. Mm. Um, I know one of the other shots that you brought was, like, a a more of a, I I can't remember if it was a close-up or a medium, but... Yeah, it's a bit more of a medium. Um, a bit more of a medium. I find that very interesting just because of um, what you said to me recently about wides. Um, you don't like them?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're just such a pain in the ass to shoot. I mean, uh, you know what? <laughs> uh, to be fair, uh, a huge part of that is is just the, the low-budget world, um, you know, and, and my own sort of perfectionist outlook. I'm like, oh, fuck, this would be so good if I just had this one thing that there's no way we could have the budget for, um, that we could get exactly right. Um, so, and you know what, even, even my own sort of aesthetic tastes in terms of like the way I tend to cover scenes, the way I, I tend to break down my own coverage. I don't usually include a wide shot outside of just the sake of having the coverage. Um, In my head, I Mm -hmm. I try and uh, and, and plan a shoot around having a lot of um, closer sort of uh, intimate mediums, close ups. um, And I I tend to just keep the wide as an insurance policy.
0: Right. Which is interesting because I listened to a podcast recently called Just Shoot It that featured the uh, cinematographer for End of the Fucking World. And he talked about Mm -hmm. like not shooting wides at all for that show. And oh, really? I like, yeah, and um, or it might have been. So, uh, I've seen the first season, but not the second season. So, I don't know necessarily if that, if that applies. Like, were there were there any? Was there an, there wasn't an overabundance of wides in the second season, right?
1: Uh, if, it's been a while since not, I watched it, a, it but yeah. if I remember correctly, I don't think there are a ton.
0: Yeah, because so, it's interesting. They talked about the relationship with the studio and and the relationship with Netflix. Like, Netflix doesn't really doesn't really impede upon the flow but like certain studios would be like okay you have to get an establisher because Mm -hmm. you have to you have to you have to it's like where the fuck is my character it's like some producer sitting excuse me sitting behind a desk being like how do we know where the fuck the character is where's the geography of the scene (laughs) it's like shut the fuck up okay and this is intentional but anyways it's just interesting that we both got a we both brought a wide to the table and I mean that's a good point about low budget this film is uh, was 55 million bucks that's how much the mm-hmm. the film cost, which is interesting. That is low budget in like a, in, in in like the Hollywood standards, but uh, but yeah, I mean in, yeah. in
1: the realm of like comic book movies, I mean fifty five million is 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 like is dirt.
0: Is like 10, like ten days.
1: Yeah, yeah, out of
0: an <laughs> eighty five day schedule.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in this in this Marvel DC kind of realm, this yeah. is definitely this is definitely the low budget indie indie film.
0: Yeah, so. I love wides. Now, with that said, I love them. Okay? Now, <laughs> I... Uh, I think it's because they can accomplish... They can tell you so much about the character. And and the last frame that we looked at is, is an example of that. And I'm going to mm-hmm. use this frame as a way to talk about the lamp that is present in the last scene because something that you said was interesting. It's like, we're sitting here breaking that down, but... How do we know that Larry Sure was like, yeah, we're just going to put it there because it casts a little bit of light on the brick and it'll be cool, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, but, but, this is the shot that comes directly after the one where he's ascending the stairs, and in this case, he's moving from left to right, he's going down the hill, but ultimately he's walking towards this um, this source of illumination which is above the archway so i want to talk about that in this scene not so much mm. not so much the 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 composition but the composition also like definitely plays into it but from the perspective in terms of composition the perspective like how we want to look at it is the perspective that he's walking towards this light not away from it he's making a natural progression from left to right Okay. I've we've seen movies in the past like The Graduate for example, which has that opening sequence where the main character is is progressing from right to left, which is not a natural progression. Which is a which is a standard way of showing that this character is moving backwards. But Arthur, a character who's struggling internally, is progressing. Mm-hmm. He's descending in his motion, but ascending in terms of moving from left to right and towards this this lamp so robin what do you think we can take away from from that like just this in terms of his relationship to this source of illumination well
1: i i think that it it, it's very interesting that we would have both chosen frames that are communicating a lot of the same information um I, i think the color is is first and foremost, one of the most important aspects of these uh, of these lights, because that's a, a constant pattern that gets returned to within the language of this film. Um, uh, so the yellow definitely is something that's pulling Arthur um, out of the sort of blue, um, the blue city, the, the blue threats that kind of, Um, constantly push him down, make him feel isolated. So there's something to be said about it being a beacon in the dark, a beacon in the blue. Um, And there's something Mm -hmm. to be said about him um, moving out of the blue towards it because it is sort of, um, even though it is this sickly yellow, it is also um, a source of warmth in all the cold as well. Um, So it's him moving towards something better. Um, um, And also just not to to get us too off track but just to defend the the wide shot situation for this film um you know shooting on uh <laughs> yeah shooting on uh the the Alexa 65 um having that uh you know large format sensor definitely yeah, gives you sensor. a whole yeah. uh new dynamic to work with in terms of your wide shots you know when you're throwing a, a 50 millimeter lens on and you're getting the same kind of frame as a as a you know, approximately like a 25 millimeter, um,
0: a 25 or 26. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, you know, you can get that beautiful, uh, depth of field that you're getting with a 50 millimeter, but then with, with the the field of view of a, of a 25, 26. So
0: of a 24. uh, Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: So, so I, I do got to defend the wide shots of this film because they, they, you know, have that large format sensor really kind of bolstering them and, and making them look, um look a lot better than than what you're going to get out of out of that 35 millimeter sensor um but yeah in terms of that light pulling him towards it's some warmth um and it's you know it's a visual motif that they come back to constantly throughout the film
0: constantly and 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 from to my memory like he turns into that archway
1: yeah i believe so i believe because this is is his apartment building yeah he's moving in Um, And, you know, you're moving into an apartment where, um, you know, I guess this would be the important point to start talking about what's on either side, because, you know, as soon as you get into the apartment, you move into a whole different visual world, you know, everything uh, becomes very handheld, Um, you get into these sort of wider lenses that let you keep the camera closer to Arthur. Um, you know, it, it becomes a much safer, intimate, warm world. As soon as you're in the apartment, you know, it's all lit by these these yellowy, yeah. warm lamps. Um, you know, he's with his mother, you know, the one figure that kind of, at least in the beginning of the film, is, is to, to overuse this word, his beacon, um, you know, his light in, in the dark. Yeah. So um, I think there's something to be said about him moving towards it and moving into the place that, that feels the safest to him.
0: Yeah, and and um, and that's that's a great point because not only does Arthur as a character, not only is Arthur as a character safer, but we as the audience feel mm-hmm. safer because we're watching Arthur move through these wide shots in such a cold, uh, in such a cold composition, and then and then all of a sudden he's he's in a safe house, right? He's in a he's in his apartment with his mother, the closest person to him in his life, and um, the tone of the images changes from. From this, this um, overbearing cold image to an overbearing warm one, um, which is what you're talking about. Now, it's also interesting because there's there's more light in this, in, in this shot. Um, through the archway, there's another light because I don't believe that the, the light that's on the outside of the archway could cast light onto the floor beyond the archway and in front no, of the No, no, there's another one, yeah, over um, that other so door. So there's another light going on here whether it's a setup or a another one of these lights on the other side of the archway I'm not totally sure but I think there's um yeah I think uh, there's gotta be some sort of uh, big setup in you know either behind the camera or like behind this wall shaping where the light lands on the floor
1: I believe if i if I remember correctly as this uh, as he walks through this frame because I don't think this is a static frame I think it moves with him. Um, I think it trucks to the side um, and I believe that you you re, like reveal another one of these uh, sort of sickly yellow lights above so I I think this is uh, mostly practicals
0: mostly practicals all right yeah yeah and, and and another very interesting frame it's you know it's lopsided in a lot of ways where this telephone pole lands the the horizon of the of the top the, the top portion the lines above the archway the the street the sidewalk kind of l- like lopsiding downwards on an on an angle really like diagonal lines kind of shape this composition for me like with the with even with the the placement of the um of the uh the blinds mm-hmm. in 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 the window of the of the of the apartment building to the left mm-hmm. of the frame left middle um really di- it's diagonal lines and he's transitioning like you know we're we're obviously moving with this character but the character is moving through a space that is not uh not linear but straight, you know, like um and and so I think that also says a lot about Arthur Fleck as a character and kind of where we are because it's like, you know, it's like you look at this as a as a producer and a cinematographer and it's like, is the camera level? Like what the fuck is going on? Is the camera like straight? Well, exactly, this frame oh, is so disorienting. Wait a minute, the street isn't.
1: It is not level so at all. It's like, so the you longer know, you look, look at this it, building it's like, and follow yeah, those yeah. those you yeah. know windows up, this is not a level shot. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a completely intentional no. choice. The, this it feels like it someone be, yeah. who is in a very confusing. I, you know, you you mentioned the the light post there. Um, and the telephone pole, yeah. all of these lines are intersecting at completely different angles. Nothing feels uniform about it, oh, yeah. um, and I think that that feels like a very intentional choice to kind of lose this character in a bit of a mad yeah. world.
0: Yeah, and so I think that's kind of where we'll, we'll we'll sum it up by saying that composition really is used in a in a strong way to evoke. What is going on in the, in the psyche of this character? Because it really is a psychological study. It's a character piece that's brilliantly crafted. From inciting incident to climax and ending, the film is a contemporary slow dance number in every way, rhythmically timed and paced to music that is sometimes only subtly present. And that's the Joker, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I think that there's a lot going on in so many of these frames, and we could talk forever About the framework that's going on in this film, and that's the purpose of this podcast. Rob and I've got a really important question for you. Mm -hmm. Will you do another episode with
1: us? (laughs) Absolutely. I've had I've had a ton of fun talking with you. Cam. I mean, we always have fun talking, and I, you know, I I know that we could talk for hours about these frames. So uh, uh, I'd I'd be happy to come back.
0: I think we should. I think we should. Um, I'm gonna have a I have a few. uh, Obviously. I have a few uh, guests lined up. I, I want to obviously do Kevin for the for the next episode. Whoa! Um, whoa! Hey, Kevin! Uh, shout out to <laughs> my buddy Kevin Derus, who's uh, who's a huge talent. Um, and uh, you should check out the the main channel Red Current Entertainment and his vlog channel Dr. Masaki. Um, he also does he also does some collaborations with the box office artist. So take a look at that as well. Um, we are uploading to Red Curtain Entertainment podcast. Um, it is brought to you by Red Curtin Entertainment and filmed in part in the RCE studios north of Toronto following COVID-19 guidelines. Yes, we literally have a, a, a piece pexi- of plexiglass <laughs> barrier between us. So, uh, yeah, we have a plexiglass barrier and then like when this is all said and done, Kevin and I just go and make out for a while. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> no. Well, I will no. Not make it into the no. video I'm I would like to, to see you. Sorry? <laughs> Is that
1: going to make it into this video? Because I would very much like to see that.
0: It's possible. I don't know. I don't oh, know. geez. Um, Cameron's going to edit this. I think so. Uh, that's kind of where we'll we'll bring our, our study of the film Joker to a close. Um, not to say that we won't ever revisit this film because you can always talk about uh, Joker. Joker. Uh, I think it's also interesting to note that we haven't said already is that we are looking at this film almost exactly a year after its release, which is interesting because Robin and I would prefer to break down a film almost immediately after we've seen it. However, however, we are bringing different perspectives on this film because of the time between seeing it for the first time and talking about it. So I think that's very interesting and something to think about when you're talking about films, which we encourage you to do so long as you get them legally. Um. So, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, what's your favorite film? Many films. Uh, actually, what one? What one that comes to mind is uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. So next time on Framework, we're gonna look at Scott Pilgrim versus <laughs> the World with Kevin DeRuce, <laughs> he's just the owner of Red Crane <laughs> Entertainment, and discuss its impact on the eyes as well as on cultures around it. So that'll be fun. That's gonna, that's gonna be exciting. Robin, although he's got a really sexy uh baritone voice is not going to be on that episode <laughs> but he'll come back i mean I back. can be if
1: you want but i mean
0: you can be i mean uh you've seen that film
1: uh yes i've seen that film
0: yeah so there you go maybe we'll maybe we'll bring you back and we'll talk <laughs> about Scott Pilgrim. um robin before we close the show um i just want to ask you what are you working on today um you got any projects on the go? Um, things that you want to talk about or that you can talk about? Um,
1: yeah, you know what? It, it, it's interesting. We're recording this at a, at a very bizarre time in the world. Um, you know, obviously the backdrop of all of this is the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, so there are not a ton of things going on, unfortunately, but um, the, the one that I'd really like to push is uh, a little self-indulgent for this podcast, but it, uh, it's Run Boy Run um you know it's a short film that uh Cameron you and I worked on uh shot almost exactly a year ago pretty sure it'll be a year exactly in like two days so um
0: tomorrow tomorrow yeah, yeah. so no. yeah two days exactly two days. so yeah. um yep.
1: you know what I just want people to keep their eyes out for Run Boy Run it's uh you know it's a labor of love and uh and uh, I can't wait for people to see it and enjoy it
0: Awesome. And just to remind the audience who may have tuned in halfway through or whatever, um, Robin, your uh, Instagram, robin.johnson.dp, is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah, you can find me there. Uh, you can also find uh, my demo reel on Vimeo. Um, but Instagram is uh, the main hub of my uh, my communication and, and uh, posting.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I cannot wait to see where your career goes um, and and how it goes. Thank you so much, Robin, for joining us today. Have a great one, everybody. Stay safe and keep watching. If you have any recommendations for this show, please email rcepodcasts at gmail.com. Information in the the description. Fuck. Cue music. See ya. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Cam. No problem. All right. Take care. Take care. We'll